Well, we are uh, going through the Gospel of Luke, our third message in uh, kind of a series that's going to take about three years. So uh, settle in, enjoy enjoy this uh, study. But uh, as I was preparing for um, the message this week on Mary, I was thinking, you know what, I'm not going to be able to get all of what I need to share in this sermon this morning. So uh, I've... Uh, Spared you some pain, and we're going to break this up into two parts over two weeks. Do you appreciate that? Otherwise, we'd be here till one o'clock today, and didn't think you'd want to do that. So, uh, Luke chapter one, Luke chapter one. Take your Bibles, take your uh, smartphones, take your iPads, whatever you're using, and uh, we're going to read verses 26 through 38 this morning. I can tell that we're in the middle of summer, and uh, doing church in Ridgecrest in the middle of summer is difficult. Everybody needs to have their vacation, as I hope you're taking one. Uh, We need rest and relaxation, but uh, it's obvious that people are on vacation today, but uh, glad that you're here. Well, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with, with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Church, we have much to learn from this this little girl who's most likely between the ages of 12 and 14. In reading commentaries this week, um, Bible scholars believe that she was more likely to be of the age of 12. And uh, not that we are to idolize Mary, we, but we, there's lots to emulate And uh, we're going to be looking at these things over the course of the next two weeks. A little bit of background here. The story begins in Nazareth. Now, 
Nazareth was a very insignificant place. If you were to go to Nazareth today, the population of Nazareth is about 160,000 people. But back here in the New Testament, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary in Nazareth, it was a village. And it was no more than 50 to 100 people who lived in this, this little village. It was nothing. Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the Apocrypha, the writings between the Old and and New Testament. They're not a part of our canon of Scripture. But uh, Nazareth is uh, is not mentioned. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 41, Philip is telling Nathanael, come see this Jesus, the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And Nathanael says... What good comes from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? This is the reputation from where God is sending his angel Gabriel to make his announcement that the Messiah is going to come to this little girl. Um, In your outline, if you have an iPad this morning, you have a a little link there. It's called the NazarethVillage.com. Um, when I was in the Holy Lands about 10 years ago, we were able to take a tour of uh, this Nazareth village. This uh, was built based upon um, uh, what archaeologists had fi- found of a village in Nazareth. And so they recreated this uh, uh, scene of what it could have been like 2,000 years ago and turned the volume way down. <laughs> they went to the link on their iPad. But I encourage you to go there uh, when you uh, go home this afternoon and kind of check this thing out. But uh, again, a very humble, poor place, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But God is is uh, going to um, the Mary and Joseph are going to conceive in in this village. A little bit about Joseph. Joseph is a teenager as well. He's probably around the age of 14 years old, okay? Uh, Very poor, doesn't have his driver's license yet or his Campbell license, and uh, just just working as a carpenter. Some of you guys got that. But, uh, you know, just a a very young man, um, comes from very humble means. In fact, Mary and Joseph are very impoverished. Uh, later on, when we see them taking Jesus to the temple to be dedicated uh, um, after the days of purification, um, they don't have enough money to buy a significant sacrifice. They take two turtle doves, and that's what poor people too did who can afford any other sacrifice. They purchased two turtle doves. And uh, so, again, Joseph is a very humble means. Um, Mary, Mary, like I said, is probably around 12 years old. Do we have any 12-year-old girls in our service this morning? Bethany, how old are you? You're 12. Imagine, Mom and Dad, the angel Gabriel coming to Bethany to make this announcement. You know, that's, that's amazing when you think of it in these terms. Um. And yet here Mary is. Uh, again, she's most likely illiterate. She 
can't read or write. Uh, very few people knew how to read and write in this day and age. Only about 10 to 15%. And particularly if you're living in Nazareth, uh, very distant, uh, most likely Joseph and Mary both didn't know how to read or write. And yet, this is whom, this is whom God is going to come to. And this is the person who is going to conceive the Son of God. Christianity isn't for the elite, the people who uh, are the best educated or live in the prominent places. Though God will use people in those places, but God is taking coming to some place extremely insignificant, a place in nowhere, using nobody to do his amazing work. You know, a little bit about Nazareth. Nazareth would have been like one of those places you and I travel to and pull off the road and get gas at a particular place and you'll look around and you think to yourself, who in the world would live in a place like this? Kind of like, like a lot like Ridgecrest, okay? Now Ridgecrest likes to make fun of Inukern or Trona, but you know, for the rest of California, pull off in Ridgecrest, they're saying the same thing about us. Aren't you glad you live in a place where you can identify with biblical characters? God does amazing things in the middle of nowhere with nobodies. Don't you feel qualified? Really? Because we are qualified. And God wants to do something amazing here. So Mary, Joseph, living in Nazareth, that's where God goes, and he comes to Mary, and he makes this incredible announcement in verse 28. He says, um, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And then in verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel comes. Gabriel is a very busy individual. I mean, he was six months ago, he had come to Zechariah, and now six months later, he comes to, to Mary, and he says, Mary, you have found favor with God. What does favor mean? Favor means grace. Mary, you have found unmerited favor. You have found unmerited love. Today, God has chosen to bestow his grace on you. It wasn't anything Mary that was doing that gained God's grace, that gained God's favor. God saw Mary and God chose Mary. And that's how God chooses all of us. He chooses to bestow his grace, his favor on each of us, allowing us to come into a saving knowledge and faith in Christ. That's what's happening to Mary in this passage of Scripture. God is choosing Mary. And so based on that background, based on that foundation, as we go through this text this week and next, I want to talk about four 
um, significant insights that we can learn from this 12-year-old who had absolute faith and confidence in who God is regardless of the circumstances that were going to come upon her because of her obedience to him, all right? And may it, may it challenge us. May it cause us to want to obey what God is inviting us to come into as we follow him in ministry. First thing I want you to see in this passage is that God completes his promises, He completes his promises. Now, this promise began all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Okay, I want you to turn there for a moment. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin came into the world. And um, God made this prophetic promise um, in, in... in dealing with the serpent uh, following Adam and Eve's failure. I want to look at verse 14 to begin with. And God is speaking to the serpent. The Lord said to the serpent. Now, who is the serpent? The serpent is Satan. If you have a pen, I would encourage you to write down Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and Revelation 20, verse 2. The author, John, knows that the the serpent described here is Satan himself, and he spells that out in the book of Revelation. The Bible says this, The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, okay, because you tempted Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve both ate of the fruit, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all the beasts of the fields, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What God is saying is from the offspring of the woman, this redeemer that's to come is going to bruise your head, serpent. Now you are going to you're going to bruise his heel, but what the 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 damage he's he's going that he's going to inflict on you is going to be far superior than what you're going to be able to do to the to him. And so in this text, we see the first announcement of the gospel. It's subtle, but it's there. This is what God is promising for from the very beginning, that from a woman, a redeemer is going to come. Okay, so that's the first. The second thing we see in this passage of scripture in Luke is in verses 32 and 33. Uh, verse 32 says, He will be great and will be call, called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his, of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. God is fulfilling the promise that he made to King David back in Second Samuel chapter 7. It's in your, tech, your, your handout this morning. Go home and read it. But uh, God says that 
there's going to be someone who's going to be on the throne of David and he's going to reign forever and ever and ever. And in reading this text, you know what? It causes me to want to break out into Handel's Messiah. You know, that God is fulfilling his promises and Jesus is always going to be on the throne. Whatever God promises, he's going to fulfill. Now, in Genesis 3, that promise was made 6,000 years ago. But God is coming through with this promise through the birth of the Messiah through Mary. Promise made to David was a thousand years before Christ came on the scene. And in the book of Isaiah, God says that Emmanuel is going to come forth from a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So understand when God makes a promise, he's not going to go back on his promise. You know, maybe you're here this morning. There was a point where you gave your life to Christ, but you're wondering, has he really saved me? And the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whom God saves, he keeps. And he's never going to let that person go. Now, that doesn't mean that we have the license to go out and do whatever we want to. No, safe people don't talk that way. And when we do disappoint God, when we do stumble, you know what? We are, the Bible says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit resides inside of us and convicts us of that sin and draws us back to a right relationship with God when we agree with him that what we've done is wrong. Whom God saves, he keeps forever and ever and ever. God keeps his promises. That's the first thing I want you to see through this passage of Scripture. He promised Zechariah and Elizabeth that they were going to have a child in their old, old age, beyond their childbearing years, and God came through. God says that the virgin is going to conceive. God came through. In verse 37 of chapter 1, the Bible says, God is the God of the impossible. So maybe it looks impossible for you right now, friend, but it's not impossible with God. Whatever God promises, he is going to follow through with. The second thing I want us to see from this text this morning, is Mary's exemplary exemplary response. Now, before we we get into uh, A, Mary asked asked, um, the angel Gabriel a question. And uh, Zechariah last week asked, the angel a question. How can this be? And then in verse um, uh, 34 of chapter 1 today, Mary says, How would this be since I am a virgin? Both had questions, but one uh, 
there were consequences with his question. And what made Zechariah's question different from Mary's? Well, again, Zechariah's was a question of doubt. There's a big difference between Zechariah and Mary. Zechariah is a priest. Zechariah knows how to read and write. He knows what the Old Testament says. He knows the character and nature of God. And in his question, God knew that it was a question of doubt. And he paid the price. God made him mute through the duration of the pregnancy. Didn't make him deaf. I made that mistake last week, okay? And four people pointed out that out to me. So I'm glad you're listening out there. He wasn't both mute and deaf, just mute. But that was the consequences for his lack of faith. Mary's question wasn't a lack of faith. Hers was a biological question. You know, God, how's this? How are you going to do this? Now, ain't Gabriel, I know you're an angel. I know you're a sexless being. You're not able to have children or things of this nature. But I don't know if you know about this women on earth, here on earth. But in order for us to be able to have a child, we've got to be with a man. And I've never heard of a virgin giving birth to a son. And so hers was biological in nature. What does God say? The angel Gabriel says this in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, there's some religions out there today who say that Mary did have sexual relations with God the Father. That in his own way, God the Father came into Mary and impregnated Mary. That's not what the scripture says. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. She did not have sexual relationship with God. The Bible says she was a virgin. But in God's own mysterious way, the Holy Spirit came upon her. The the presence of the Most High overshadowed her. That word overshadowed is also used uh, to describe the presence of God in the the temple, uh, in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. Uh, That word overshadow is described as the presence of God who came upon Jesus uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's mysterious. It's something that only God can do. But my friends, he's the God of the impossible. And when Mary conceived, she conceived as a virgin. And as she was betrothed to Joseph and gave birth to the Messiah, she stayed a virgin. Joseph chose to keep her a virgin throughout the pregnancy. And so this is, this is how God was going to do it. And in our finite minds, in our earthly minds, we cannot comprehend that, this, but Mary believed this. Now, I want to just point out, um, in Mary obeying, 
that uh, she obeyed regardless of the consequences. These consequences, she took some huge risks, church. Okay? To begin with, she's betrothed to Joseph. She's planning her wedding day. And she knows if she's going to obey God, if she's going to be that temple in which the Messiah is going to come forth, she's going to be pregnant without knowing a man. It was going to cost her some things. And number one, it could potentially cost her her relationship with her husband. Okay, they're betrothed. Now, when you think of the word betrothed, that's a little different from how people are married today. People back then, what would happen is parents would decide who their son and daughter would marry. And upon choosing the person that they would marry, then they would enter into uh, an engagement relationship. There would be a contract signed. Uh, there would be a diary dowry price for the future husband that they would have to pay for this bride. And so they would be committed to each other for a year-long process, but they wouldn't consummate the marriage in holy matrimony until a year later. So here, Mary is betrothed to, to Joseph, and so contractually, they're married. And she knows that to follow through with God, she may very well be giving up her relationship with her husband. I want you to see that her identity is not caught up in who she's marrying. Her identity isn't caught up in who she's going to be with the rest of her life. No, in saying yes to God... She's willing to risk her relationship with her husband because it's her relationship with God. That's, that's, that's her identity. She's willing to lose him. Um, the second thing we, we see in this passage of Scripture is she knows she's going to be pregnant without knowing a man. And that carries serious consequences. If you're betrothed to somebody and you get pregnant in that betrothal, in that uh, engagement period, you can lose your life. This was the law in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, or it's in your outline, I believe, Deuteronomy 22, it says, If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, and you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Both will pay the consequence. Now, when it came to the New Testament period, Stoning was uh, not likely to occur in this culture. But Jesus was asked the question in John chapter 8. There was a sinful woman 
caught in adultery, caught in the very act of adultery, and she was dragged from that situation into the presence of Jesus. Now, why they didn't bring the man, I have no idea. They should have brought the man as well. But for some reason, you know, these guys were hiding in the house, and uh, as the act occur, they pop out and they take the woman to Jesus. And uh, they ask Jesus a question. What should we do with this woman? Jesus, you know what the law says. And they were all ready to stone her. And you know the story. Jesus said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, they began to drop their stones because they knew they all had sin in their life. They weren't able to cast the stone. And so... Jesus looks up after they've all left and says, where are your accusers? She said, they've all left. Jesus says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. The person who was qualified to cast the stone didn't. He chose to forgive. That's the grace of God. That's how God looks on you this morning. If you see yourself as the sinful woman, Jesus doesn't accuse you. He wants to set you free. And so Mary understands the consequences. Now, what was typically taking place in these villages, if a woman was caught in an adulterous affair, is they would go into the middle of the village. They would be taken to the middle of the village, tied to a stake, and it would be proclaimed that she's made some very bad choices. She is an adulterer. And people would walk by her and see her, and she would be an example to the rest of the young girls in that village or the women not to make those kinds of choices themselves because the very same thing could happen to them. And uh, that be the example. She was willing to take that risk. In fact, when she said yes to God and she conceived as a virgin, you know what? She... She wore that label of of impurity, of being unfaithful to your spouse. She lived with that reputation her whole life. There's a text in John chapter 8 where Jesus' accusers are standing before him. And uh, he's talking about who their father is. So their their father is the devil, and um, and they they say we know who our father is. Our father is Abraham. And then they say this in verse forty one of chapter eight. They said to him, "We were not born of sexual immorality." Jesus, we know who our father is. You don't know who your mom is. You're No telling how many people your mom slept with. Jesus lived with that reputation. 
Mary lived with that reputation. And Jesus was there. I was, my mother was a virgin when she conceived. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Right. We get that. It happens all the time to people. No. No. He wore the label. She wore the label. So we see Mary in this passage of Scripture choosing to let go of her comfort, her security, her identity, her reputation, her marriage. Behold, you have found favor with God. This is how it's going to transpire. And without blinking, without hesitating, Mary says in verse 30, 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What amazing faith. A 12-year-old church willing to risk it all to follow God. Second thing we see about Mary is that she chooses to live selflessly. Selflessly. She doesn't make any excuses. Imagine hearing all of this and saying, Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, I don't have any experience at this. Uh, This is way out of my comfort zone. You know, and she could come up with a laundry list of excuses of why this is not a good idea or now is not the time. She doesn't give one. She hears the invitation and she says, Behold, the servant of the Lord. May your word happen to me accordingly. Is that your response? When people invite you to participate in God's ministry, is your response like Mary's? Or is it, um, you know, let me pray about it. Let me get back to you after a while. And we just delay or... Or we just come up with a laundry list of excuses of why we can't. Maybe you're here, you're thinking, well, well, Pastor, you know, I'm not sure God has ever invited me to participate in any ministry. Oh, yes, he has. You know, when someone comes up to you in this church and asks you to serve in a particular position, you know what? They see some things in you that God can work through to accomplish. Maybe you don't see it in yourself, but others see it in you. And we say, well, let me pray about this. Or, you know what? I, I don't think I'm very good. at Was Mary good at having a baby as a virgin? Absolutely not. And we come up with a host of of different excuses. Folks, we need to look at the life of Mary without hesitation. 
with all the risks involved, she was willing to say yes to God. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to say yes to him when we're invited to participate. Now, I just want you to see this too. That being unqualified is a poor excuse. Mary didn't have any qualifications. She couldn't read. She couldn't write. She came from Nazareth, an unknown place. She was a nobody. But by the grace of God, God wanted to use her. You know, when it comes to kingdom work, there should be no inferiority complexes. My friend, don't don't try to compare yourself to somebody else and think, well, they've got all the skills, they've got all the abilities, and God can use them. God can't use me. God can use you. God wants to use you. And in this passage of Scripture, he's he's pointing out to us that he wants to use the humble, the fringe people, the poor, the nobodies. That's whom God wants to use. Christianity isn't a religion for the elite. Christianity is a religion for the the humble. Mary wasn't doing things to get God's attention. She wasn't dancing, saying, God, notice me, use me. No. She was going through the simple routines of life. And God came to her. You know, all the other religions of the world, they're trying to do things to get to God. But with Christianity, God comes to us. The simple people. The humble people. And chooses to use them. My friend, don't sit in this service and think you're unqualified. That he can use other people. God wants to use each of us. May we grasp this from a 12-year-old girl. May we choose to take the same kind of risks. Being willing to throw your reputation away to do what God wants you to do. Let's pray. Friend, if you're here this morning and you've been looking around and you've been comparing yourself to others and you don't measure up, God this morning is saying, stop it. He sent his son, Jesus. His name is Jesus into the world to die for you. 
The name Jesus means the God who saves. And by His grace, He wants to save you. He wants to make your life brand new. Maybe you've made lots of mistakes, and I'm sure you have. All of us here in this room have made lots of mistakes. But Jesus stands before you this morning, and he says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Give your heart and life to Christ. The Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's his promise. And he's never going to go back on his promise. He wants to save you. Allow him to be your Lord and Savior. Christian, have you been on the sidelines with a laundry list of excuses of why you can't or why you won't? Mary risked it all to be the mother of God. What is he calling on you to do? May your words be Mary's words. Behold the servant of the Lord. May it be done according to your word. Father, thank you for this passage. May we never gloss over it again. We are so familiar with the Christmas story. Father, for Mary, for Joseph, this announcement had a profound impact on their life. May we emulate Mary, not idolize her. She's not someone we worship. She was a sinner just like the rest of us. But my a 12-year-old girl with faith like this. Lord, may we have that kind of faith. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word. May we worship you. Father, may we commit our lives to you. In Christ's name.